Oh, let's see. I think I missed one. Oh, I didn't get it. Oh, good for me. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the call. This is the TR90 call. Feel, um, we're thrilled that you're able to join us this morning. And for those that have just joined, if you don't know who I am, I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, and I am welcoming you to our night call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time for for about... <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to leave the entry notice alone because seemingly it can't make up its mind what it's doing this morning. So I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, coming to you with an education background. Um, if you're wanting to know what time this call usually happens. It happens at this time, which is 6.40 for me, which is Pacific time. Mountain time is 7.40. 8.40 Texas time. 9.40 for Michigan and East Coast time. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on sound, S-O-U-N-D, cloud, C-L-O-U-D. Put in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and T-R-90. And these calls will pop up. They're archived back now in more than nine years. The last several months, we've actually been putting not only the date and the host's name, but also what the topic of the call was. So if you're looking for meditations, you'll be looking for Victoria's name. If you're looking for information on sleep, the sleep topics will pop up just there's a wealth of information there. With that being said, that TR90 program, when you're first starting out, is that one really good clean meal, a day, lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at at least three of those meals. If you are a larger person, you may want to add a fourth meal with 30 grams of protein or up the number, a gra- number of grams of protein at those three, three meals because the protein helps build the muscle, which in turn fires up the engines inside the cells to burn the fat. Taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal, if at all possible, is optimum. If it's not doable, do take them with your meals because it'll still work. It's just not quite as effective as it would be if it was um, 15 to 20 minutes beforehand. When it has a chance to hit your system and be ready to go to work really efficiently. 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise at least five days a week. If you heard Frank yesterday, I think he said he and Jennifer are on 1,300 and today I think would be the 23rd day that they've been doing hashtag no days off for that 30 minutes of exercise. you know, when when you build a good habit like that, don't let it go. It's it's easier to keep a good habit going than it is to let it go and then try to come back and rebuild that habit. Seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day. That does a lot of things, including adding fiber to your diet, but also it adds a lot of micro and macronutrients in, um, that helps support this TR90 lifestyle. Seven to nine hours of rest daily is also optimum, really important. Um, I shared with you, I think it was on Tuesday, that according to Stephen G. Pratt, MD, that um, getting that sleep, if you're starting out and you're 
whole life is in disarray, the first thing he suggests to his people that are really desperate when they're overweight and they're out of shape and sleep-deprived and stressed is to go home and sleep for a week. Get the sleep schedule under control, and then you can start making changes, positive changes to your lifestyle that will make more sense and actually be more beneficial. With that being said, you need to stay hydrated as well. Hydration, the current thinking on that is at least one ounce of water for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, a minimum you should be drinking of water is 50 ounces daily. If you're not at that level, start with wherever you are and slowly build up to where you need to be. That hydration a lot of times masks itself as being hungry when you're dehydrated or sometimes it can cause you to make not so good choices. So hydration really is a good thing. If I think I'm hungry, a lot of times what I will do is I'll drink a glass of water first and then I'll wait about five minutes to see if I'm still really hungry. And if I'm still really hungry, then and it's been a while since I've eaten, then it probably is hunger. But I always go for the water first because that's the easiest thing to fix and um, it really does help. So today I'm sharing some information to help support that lifestyle, TR90 lifestyle of ours. And it's out of a book that's called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. It was written by Robert H. Lustig, MD, and MSL. And it is specifically, specifically talking about fats, and I hope to get through this whole section today with you about this. So the prevalence of heart disease began to rise slowly over the early 20th century when Paul Dudley White wrote his classic treatise, Heart Disease, in 1931. White was Eisenhower's cardiologist in 1955 and after the president's heart attack moved to reduce heart disease from the dietary intervention uh, through dietary intervention was in full swing by the 1960s, with the U.S. government wanting to take a proactive role. This set the stage for a nutritional, quote, holy war, unquote, played out in kitchens and restaurants across America. The goal was to alter our diet for the better. Instead, we laid waste to every nutritional hypothesis and lost the public's trust and killed countless of millions in the process. We will be suffering the aftermath of this battle royale for generations to come. The first salvo in the battle emanated from the dental community prior to 1960. The known problems associated with sugar were restricted to the development of cavities. With the advent of water fluoridation, Fluoridation in 1945, cavities were no longer a public health issue. Sugar dropped from the radar. Enter John Udkin, Udkin and Ansel Keys. Udkin is a British physiologist and nutritionist, researched the nature of the chronic disease, and in 1957, he postulated that the dietary composition was the cornerstone of coronary thrombosis, or in parentheses, heart attacks. By 1964, he determined through natural observation that the consumption of sucrose, 
was most closely associated with heart disease. He was the first to show that sugar uniquely raises serum or blood triglycerides and insulin levels. And in 1972, he published his seminal work on the subject, Pure, White, and Deadly in the UK. Yudkin, spelled Y-U-D-K-I-N, published countless papers on the biochemistry of sucrose, specifically the molecule called fructose, which gives sugar its sweetness. He was the first to warn that excessive consumption could lead to coronary heart disease, diabetes, GI disease, eye disease, and other inflammatory diseases, and GI for gastrointestinal disease, by the way. Ansel Keys, a Minnesota epidemiologist, was already in the public eye. As the inventor of the K ration during World War II, in 1952, he took a sabbatical in in England where he saw enormous increases in heart disease in the face of the English diet, which consisted of incredibly high-fat, high-cholesterol items. Think bangers and mash, fish and chips. He noted that those who were the best fed in both the United States and the UK, those that were available to afford meat were the ones who suffered most often from heart problems. He returned to the United States on a mission to prove that cholesterol and dietary fat were uh, direct sources for heart disease. He's published many studies in the 1960s and 70s that demonstrated higher cholesterol levels in patients with heart disease. He also showed that the increased consumption of dietary fat led to the higher cholesterol. Key's seminal seven-country study, which came out in 1980, was a 500-page volume dedicated to the concept through its cholesterol content, dietary fat was the single cause for heart disease. Unfortunately, based on his own work, there are four problems with his thesis. First, the seven-country study started out as the 22-country study. His seven countries were Japan, Italy, England, Wales, included as a separate country by Keyes, Australia, Canada, and the United States. For these seven, the relationship between dietary fat and heart disease looked pretty convincing. But when all 22 countries were plotted, you're going to add Austria, Ceylon, Chile, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Ireland, Israel, Mexico, Netherlands, New England, Norway, Portugal, Sweden, and Switzerland, the correlation became a lot less convincing. He also chose to leave out indigenous tribes such as the Inuit in North America, the Tokolo in Oceania, and the Maasai and the Rendi in both in Africa, who ate only animal fat and among, had among the lowest prevalence of heart disease on the planet. So that was the first problem. The second problem, the role of dietary fat in heart disease is complicated by the consumption of trans fats, for example, think margarine, which are a significant factor in the etiology of metabolic syndrome. Trans fat use 
use peaked in the 1960s with the advent and popularization of margarine. Remember imperial margarine? Margarine fit for a king? Just as Keyes was starting his epidemiological research, could he have been studying an effect of trans fat instead of saturated fat in the developed countries? Since he did not separate the two in his work, we don't, we don't know. So that was the second flaw. Third flaw, the correlation itself is a problem. At one end of the graph are Japan and Italy, and they eat the least amount of saturated fat. They also eat the least amount of dietary sugar of all countries included. How can you determine whether it is the fat or the sugar that is driving this relationship when both go together? That was another question. Uh, and the fourth thing, on page 262 of his mega opus, Keyes wrote the fact that the incident rate of coronary heart disease was significantly correlated with the average percentage of calories from sucrose in the diets is explained by the intercorrelation of sucrose with saturated fat. In other words, the sucrose was also correlated with heart disease, but Keyes did not think that this was an issue. When one does a multivariate correlation analysis determining whether A causes B, regardless of the impact of C, D, and E, one has to do it both ways, and in this case, one would need to hold the sucrose constant and show the dietary fat still correlates with the heart disease. Keyes didn't perform this kind of analysis, and we don't know why. So, which is it, the fat or the sugar? Well, in the midst of the Yudkin keys battle, there was the lipid hypothesis of heart disease. And in the 1970s, the Nobel Prize winning team of Michael Brown and Joseph Goldstein in Dallas discovered how the liver recycled fatty acids. From this discovery, we learned four important precepts. First, we identified LDL, or the low-density lipoproteins, the main export particle of dietary fat, and the liver LDL receptor, which gobbles them up to recycle them. Second, we learned that dietary fat increased blood, increased blood LDL levels. And third, one rare genetic disease generates massively high LDL levels, and these patients die of heart attacks very early in life. Fourth, in large populations of adults, the blood LDL levels correlate with the risk factor for coronary heart disease. The implications of this work seemed quite logical on the surface. Let's call dietary fat A, LDLB, and the coronary uh, cardiovascular disease C. The implication was that A leads to B, and B correlates with C, then A must lead to C. Therefore, no A, no C. Hmm. This was the debate in the late 1970s, especially specifically taken up by Senator George McGovern's bipartisan non-legislative select committee on nutrition and health human needs in 1977, and chronicled by Gary Taubes, T-A-U-B-E-S, McGovern appointed a labor reporter named Nick Mottern, M-O-T-T-E-R-N, who had no scientific background. 
to research and write the first dietary goals for the U.S. Rather than doing extensive research on the subject, Modern actually relied mostly, almost exclusively on the work of Mark Hedstead, the nutritionist at Harvard School for Public Health. Hedstead said, was of the opinion that dietary fat was the ultimate cause of dietary woes in the U.S., and the solution was to limit its intake. Thus, Modern's report recommended that the American populace limit its fat intake to 30% of their diet and saturated fat to 10%. Modern admitted that not all scientists agreed with the suggestions. But he stated that Americans could only improve their health by following his advice. What did they have to lose? Although it took seven years and several twists and turns, the USDA, the AHA, and the American Society for Clinical Nutrition all endorsed the document. Modern's brainchild, dietary goals for for the United States, was implemented and our dietary practices began to change as the food industry retooled itself to deliver a low-fat products to meet the new directives. And next week I will start with what went wrong with that particular scenario since we seem to be already over time. I'm going to take a soft mute so we can say goodbye to each other. If you're looking to build a new skin business, hop over to Facebook, One Team Global Live, and one of um, our business partners will be sharing information on how to build that new skin business. With that, this is Susan Mann for... Oh, I think this is like the 17th of um, November signing up. I guess it's the 18th. My bad. (laughs) Thank you, Susan. Yeah, I thought so. I wondered if we lost the day in there somewhere. No, it's it's my brain hasn't looked at the calendar in so long that I'm trying to remember it. It doesn't always remember what which what the date is for the day that I'm supposed to be giving the talk. <laughs> okay, well it's nice and windy and cool, and I'm out getting my endorphins working. <laughs> so I'll see everybody tomorrow. Oh, we are looking forward to that meditation tomorrow. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Okay, and you guys have a great day. Okay, you too, and have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll see you back here tomorrow and again next week. Take care, and I'm going to let everybody go. Bye-bye.